It's probably going to be our worst one ever, don't you think? Oh, yeah. No, I think our next one's going to be the worst one ever. Why do you worry about things like this? <laughs> Check, check, check. You ready? Hey, you know you gotta stay close to me. I know you're not like, I know you're not comfortable with that, but only for this mic to work. Uh, yeah, there we go. Alright go. Dave doesn't really like to sit too close to people. When we did our videos for our book, you know, like project your crap. It was on very me. disconcerting for him because our knees were actually touching You're the, the one who's got the problems. Alright, alright. Well welcome to the Theology on Mission broadcast. We're coming to you from Northern Seminary. Chicago, Illinois, we're sitting in the Griffith Conference Room in the library of Northern of Northern Seminary. Seminary. That's right, that's right, that's right. So Theology on Mission we're is... We're looking out the window right now. And what do you see? Gorgeous. Yes, it's the Gorgeous. first time, I believe, that it's sunny when we've podcasted, so we'll see if this affects... You know, this I would the, really like to sit outside This is the possible. kind of weather Californians dream about. No, this is the kind of what, well, you're current a California. When I grew up, this you're is a, a California. Yeah. Quite right, quite right. Also, back to the topic at hand. Theology and Mission is also partnering with Missio Alliance, a like-minded group that is a forum for evangelical theology and practice. Dave, why don't you fill that out? Uh, yeah, well, Missio Alliance is, is a place where we do theology on mission, theology, deal with the, not only the the practical aspects, but the theological aspects of the issues we're engaging in mission. And uh, we just feel like that's a hard place to find these days where you do both uh, in, in the very difficult issues of mission. That's what this place, that's what this podcast is about. So it's a perfect marriage, so to speak. Perfect partnership. All partnership. right. So today we're talking about slacktivism and mission. Or what would Jesus tweet? So this is a kind of a touchy subject, so hopefully at the very end of this, Dave will come across as looking like the old curmudgeon who's against technology. I'll end up looking like the voice of reason. That's the goal. Not going to happen. That, that might happen. So what? It's going to so, be the reverse. So what are we talking about here? Slacktivism, a uh, quick definition of that is actions performed via the internet in support of a political or social cause, but regarded as requiring little time or involvement. Actual like, on-the-ground involvement. Something like signing an online petition or liking a website or social media, something or other. So that's a kind of specific. But what, what, what is this? Why is this important to you? What's going on here? Well, you know, um, summary. Uh, I think it's really important to read the culture for violence. Read the culture for antagonism, for anger, war, hate, committing uh, the objectification of the other person and feeling good about it. All those things that go on around the term violence. And uh, I think it's important because I think Jesus calls us, following Jesus is the act of undoing the world's violence. That's one way to talk about everything that we you know, talk about when we talk about being a Christian. But I think it's an important uh, part of who we are, bringing peace, reconciliation, forgiveness, renewal into the world. Okay, so in line with that, I find that a lot of what goes on in Twitter world and Facebook world is not the diminishment of violence, not the diminishment of antagonism, but the encouragement of both violence and antagonism, and the stirring up and creating more of it. 
And uh, we do this by, by flaming out on other people, turning them into objects. Uh, we think that somehow by voicing something against somebody that we're supporting a cause, and there is some truth to that, but what we have to be aware of is how we are stirring up violence, creating sides, and more violence. And I think that by doing that does not participate in the way of Jesus and the calling of the life that we have in Christ to bring reconciliation to the world, but we're doing the opposite. So, so a lot of times when people are advocating for something strenuously or they're trying to promote something that they really believe in, it ends up creating an insider-outsider, us-versus-them mentality that doesn't actually further most of these objectives. It just actually hinders it. Well, it certainly doesn't further going anywhere towards what God wants to do in the world, which is actually uh, bring us together, reconcile, and go forward with the issue that we're dealing with, whether it be injustice, alternative sexualities, pluralism and religions, uh, uh, the gospel, etc., etc. And so all these online rants, rants, really all they do is distance us from those we now despise, hate, or reject. And they don't bring us into conversations. And they actually encourage other people to do the same. And you know, a side, of, a side part of this is the, uh, the thing that uh, Lacan and uh, Zizek and some ideological theorists uh, talk about, and that is the jouissance. Oh, the enjoyment. I feel so much better about myself. I find that irritating. And I also know all these things I myself am capable of slipping into at any moment, including right now. But, you know, the point is... <laughs> You're finding subjective uh, pleasure in ranting against rants? Yeah. I All mean, right. so, so this is what we basically have to resist as Christians. Resist objectifying the other person. Resist uh, joining up sides to make ourselves feel better, like I'm doing something for justice, when I won't even walk out the front door and meet my neighbor and the struggles and pains of my block and my village and my city. I think I'll just stay on the... I'll just think I'll stay on my Twitter account and create a little havoc, a little war, and feel a little better about myself. And by the way, my Twitter feed and my hits on my blog and my Facebook likes will go up astronomically, and I'll be able to walk out a better man today, I say facetiously. And you'll feel good about yourself because you feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah. And so, you, so this, in a sense, there's this uh, situation in, especially the social media world, and this can happen on blogs, Twitter, Facebook, and other things, uh, where it feels like we've accomplished something out in the world because we've managed to repost uh, an article, we've signed a petition, um, or we've done something of that nature. Um, but the question that we're asking is, is how much of mission is actually occurring in those activities. And you're saying that actually uh, not much mission is happening uh, because we're creating antagonisms. We're more often than not shortcutting conversation. It seems like comment sections on Facebook and other places are notorious for not having actual conversation. And so, so is this furthering Christian witness? What is, what, why is it that Christian witness is not effectively practiced online? Well, uh, before you go there, 
Uh, I think once we understand that where God works in and through Christ and his people is through presence. Uh, The presence of Christ among us and the presence that we establish with other people and other social realities and even the principalities and powers when we're fighting them. We fight them not of our own flesh and blood, but with we fight against the principalities by being present and resisting. And so um, the opposite of presence is, is violence. Uh, so that when we're out there stirring up antagonisms, pain, anger, we are creating this divide and this distance between ourselves. That's the opposite of presence. And it actually is working against mission. So we've got to do something different. And uh, so I, I guess I could say two things. I could say there are some valid purposes for Facebook and Twitter. And I think that's something we, you and I need to talk about before this podcast is over. But I also want to say it's so much more important that we walk outside our front door. We sit on our porch or we go down the street where the violence is happening and we be present with those who are hurting and those who are in pain. And out of that presence comes some amazing things like we offer reconciliation in Jesus Christ. We offer forgiveness. Uh, We offer our own confession of our sin. We offer uh, Eucharist, uh, flourishing, um, sharing. Um, Everyone at the table has a voice, has has a role. The, everyone understands themselves now as being heard, and now we start to say, what does God want to do in this place? And where does he want to take us here in Westmont on the two blocks of Warwick where I live? And how do we want, how does God want to bless our lives for the flourishing of his kingdom here? And, and, and so, and then maybe after we get through that, we say, you know what, we need some, we need some doctors in town, or we need, uh, over at the school, uh, there's some problems with um, some bullying and some racism in our school. Uh, all this, is, by the way, is not, I'm not making this stuff up. This is just my life. And that's when God starts to work to heal the world. But when all we do is create war and violence, I feel like that works against that. Now, when we're talking... So, okay, to double back... I kind of left you speechless, didn't I? Uh, oh, yeah, often. Uh, you kind you so you threw me a curveball, and, and the listeners probably here too, where you said the opposite of presence is violence. Is violence now? Why is the opposite of presence violence? Wherever the presence violence. of Jesus is, there is no violence. Whenever there is, wherever there is violence, we don't don't make space. We cannot make space for the presence of Christ to be there uh, in His fullness. Don't get me wrong, God is sovereign and present and working in the world, but there's a specific kind of presence around the Eucharist table, around reconciliation. I've talked about this before. Uh, These practices of Christian life where Jesus says, when two or three gather in my name, there will I be in the midst of you. And whenever you agree, heaven and earth will move. Like, that's where I'm going to work. But violence is the opposite of that. God cannot work in that. Now, Okay, now we're getting into some real significant church theology, church culture. Uh, well, this is called theology on mission, so I suppose that wouldn't be totally right. So that's not to say that, uh, let's say, the Lutheran view of the world does not see there isn't preservatory functions of the police force to use violence to preserve the world from chaos and mayhem so that culture and church, and we can make space for his presence. But 
God cannot work redemptively in violence. His presence in Christ won't be there. I, that, that's a bold statement. I can't really uh, deal with it in a 20-minute podcast. I shouldn't have started this conversation this way at all, but at least it, you give it some idea of how important so it is. So you don't believe in redemptive violence in your view of the atonement, huh? Uh, let's not Whoa, go, let's not go there podcast. right now. Let's, let's move on. Raise move your on. hands if you uh, want to have a podcast on the atonement and whether or not there is such a thing as redemptive violence. My hand is up. So, I, my hand was not. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Well, in your heart, it, it was. So, um, all right. So, we're talking about presence. We talk, We kind of started with online ranting or slacktivism or things. But this also applies to um, things across a distance, right? And so, a lot of times we can think of... Uh, so, another version of slacktivism even might be... This, how we donate money across distance. And, we, and there can be this uh, subjective affirmation or a sense of accomplishment of, oh, I've helped someone out far away. You know, and I think both of our congregations, you know, were involved with uh, Compassion International and other things, and these aren't necessarily bad. Right. But are they working the presence of Christ, or is it, or is it feeding into uh, something maybe more pernicious? You have, I know you have a view on this. Uh, I do. Uh, I, I think I was I'm baiting him. I think I was sitting somewhere in Canada, somewhere, maybe Saskatchewan or Winnipeg, or, or that's that's not Saskatchewan for you people who are not Canadians. That's that's Manitoba, Winnipeg, Manitoba. But maybe Saskatchewan or Manitoba, somewhere where I was talking with a group of Mennonites, and they have this rule, and it's like uh, such and such figure of money. Anytime you get over such and such figure of money, it's going to not uh, help. It's going to hurt. In other words, let's say $100,000. It gets so big that when you send it across the ocean to, let's say, somewhere in uh, Africa that needs relief, you're going to have to go through the existing structures to distribute the benefits of that money, which means you're going to empower the existing structures, which are probably the cause of the inequity and the oppression and the injustice in the first place. So you're not helping. You're actually further ensconcing the structures of injustice to keep them going. That's the theory that when money gets too big, it can't help. You must be in redemptive relationship with people. So that doesn't mean you can't send money across the ocean. It just means you have to be in relationship, know who you are, visit, be in in, in a very collegial situation to bring the gospel across oceans and time zones and blah 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 and it's not just oceans it can be down into the city if you're in the suburbs right in the sense that you're not empowering or helping local communities you're actually discontinuing a certain cycle um of oppression yeah of oppression assuming yeah and disempowerment and other things so all this to stay on topic what we're saying is there's a certain kind of slacktivism that says hey I'm just going to write a check send it in the mail and get on with my uh, you know my middle class upper class white suburban life that is hunky dory but now I feel a little bit better about myself because I gave some money away not that there's any, everything is wrong with that but that's the issue there and we need right. to discern that issue right And well, so uh, the question of discernment is something that we bring up quite a bit it, it, while you were talking about that rule it came into my head you know there's this kind of disengaged parenting idea that well I'm not present with my kids so I'll give them gifts and I'll give them money and I'll kind of make up for it and that's kind of a caricature except for I see that happen all the time so there's a reality to the disengaged yeah. parent who spoils their kid with gifts or out of a guilty conscience they give um, their child 
more money. And, and so I would just like to throw out to us in the minority West church, are we not giving away money because we don't, we lack the intention to actually have relationships with other people in the world or even down the street? Um, and so money can be a hindrance. And so yeah. we need to think more about, which isn't to say that Western Christians probably should divest themselves of a whole bunch of money because we don't need it. So, but those are almost different issues. So the, uh, yeah, so the point is discern. Be a little more discern, discerning as to what you're doing uh, in terms of engaging the powers, the principalities, the injustices of the world. Now, if I can just close this time off by saying I do think Twitter, obviously you and I both have Twitter accounts, we have Facebook accounts. We both think there's some value to this. I just like to say I think there is some value to to the conversations that Facebook does generate. I also can be easily misinterpreted as someone who creates antagonism. Misinterpreted, yes. Misinterpreted. And uh, just to close off the podcast, I think that there is an important role in terms of revealing what Denise Turner called uh, performative contradictions or um, problems in the way we're thinking. Because I think we get caught up in this one frame of thinking. And I'd like to just throw a bomb in there and get us to think differently. And And it does create all sorts of confusion, chaos, maybe even anger, but that's a, diff- that's a different thing. That's getting the anger out, catharsis, so that we can then deal with what's left afterwards. And I think that that, I, I don't know if you're going to buy this or not, but I think that's quite a bit different than stirring up antagonism for antagonism's sake, violence for violence's sake. It's sometimes, this gets to the mimetic theory of of uh, Rene Sherrard and the cross and all that. Not, back not, to theories not of, of which I, not of which I'm totally sold on. Theories the of the is, atonement. There's a there's a part of letting the violence like uh, release so that people can see who they are and what they're doing, and so we can have a conversation. I think that's a very important, valid role uh, of some Twitter people, Facebook people. Well, as some would say, um, which I agree with, is that social media is is primarily good for awareness. And so you can, in a sense, build awareness around issues through these different avenues because they're primarily, it's, it's media information avenues. Now, for creating relationships and in-depth presence, uh, not so much. But the question that I would throw out again is, is do we think, well, is, is that I don't think awareness is enough. Is that um, uh, if awareness was enough, all we would need was divine revelation but not incarnation. You're giving right. me this while uh, we're wrapping it up, but we, we got time. We got time. Don't no, we worry. don't. We don't. don't worry. It's going too long already. I'm even bored with this one now. <laughs> You're bored every time. <laughs> okay, but we didn't get to you uh, alluded to it briefly. But what what can leaders do? What are the postures? What are the things you talked about diffusing conflicts? But how do you do that? Uh, what are some specific skills? Or opportunities that we can live into as leaders um, in the midst of this antagonism that are created all the time. Yeah. Well. Um, okay. So, so conflict. Let's first understand conflict's part of everyday life. Everyday life. Those of you who are married, it's part of your everyday life. Those of you who are not married, 
who live in close proximity with roommates or what have you. It's part of your everyday life. It's part of the church. It's human life. And so we must always be willing to stand and bring the two parties together under the Matthew 18, 15 through 20 rule. Um, we need to learn how to ask questions, ask good questions, questions that reveal what's going on, questions that reveal the contradictions and, and that get at what's really going on in our conflicts. We need to stand in peace in the middle, being willing to be that person that absorbs conflict on him or herself as the object of the person or person's ire. And in all, by submitting to Christ, we create this space where we call people to say, can I hear what's... I, I like to say, when someone accuses you of being A, B, or C, the first thing out of your mouth should be, thank you very much for telling me that. I need to look at myself, and I need to look at my life. And that piece of information I wasn't aware of. And let me examine myself before Christ. So these are the kind of things, and by example, we can lead people into then what do we do now? Once this conflict, this disagreement, this issue comes to the fore, what does it mean for us to go forward? What is God calling us to? That was a quick summary. I hope it made some sense. If you want to know what to do, go, go back and listen to our previous podcast on mutual submission and how to listen Ask questions, submit yourself in Christ, not just one to another, but that's the process that's always happening in Christ as a way to diffuse the antagonisms. But some of us maybe just need to have less time on Facebook, frankly. Mm, okay. Probably. Probably. I know I now, I know, I know you've been trying to wrap up this uh, podcast because you're trying to avoid the, the best part of the podcast, which is... Where we hold you accountable oh, oh, oh. for your Facebook posts. Fitch it. You, you warned versus Fitch. You told me you were going to warn me about it. But this, this was, no, I wasn't going to warn you. This is an easy one, though. This is an easy one. So this was a quote, I suppose, from Avery Dulles that you threw up on Facebook, which is this. Discipleship is stunted. This is what you said. Discipleship is stunted unless it includes both the centripetal phase of worship and the cent, uh, centrifugal, oh, I said that wrong, phase of mission. So the phase of worship and the phase of mission. <laughs> what did you mean by that? Why is that important to you? Uh, well, Avery Dulles, Roman Catholic, saying that is interesting to me, but uh, not because Roman Catholics are bad at it. Protestants are just as bad at it. But, but you know, the issue here is, is that uh, discipleship is not a personal thing. It is something done both out of worship and out of engagement with the world, both the... Uh, the thing that pulls us into the center and the thing that that drags us out into the center. And God is present in both places, but Christ is present at the Eucharist and extends through us into the world. So we need both spheres, if I can call them that, not in the Kyperian sense, by the way, both circles, both places to, uh, we get the questions, we submit and we grow. And we come to this place and we submit and we grow. And it's out of the tension between the two that we grow as disciples. And that's why that's really important. Worship and mission. A lot like theology and mission. By the way, if, if all you do is worship, you'll become a very introverted, uh, maintenance-oriented Christian. How do I keep going as a Christian? If all you do is mission, you're going to, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I can't deal with this, I don't have any sense of who I am and where I'm going and the presence of Christ that drives me and empowers me. you got to have both to be a growing Christian.
All right, good. Well, so on to our last segment here that we regularly do. What you're reading. Dave, you first. I'm first. All right. I don't even think I've shown you this. I got this from good friend Scott Jones, who told me about it. It's called For All the Saints, a prayer book for and by the church. It's actually a church prayer book. And it's funny that we were talking about social media and different distractions and things we can do online. I got this book because it has everything all in one. It's a prayer book, but it has all the lectionary readings and the Psalter all under one cover. And so I don't need multiple books and I certainly don't need my smartphone because I was doing the lectionary on the smartphone. I don't know if you do that or if others do it on the smartphone. Super distracting, was not working. So I decided to take the whole prayer book offline like back in the old days. And so I have it for all the saints. We'll have a link for it, Um, but I've been loving it. It's great. Okay, so for me, uh, I'll just bring this up. I, I, I read through this. Uh, it's actually an article, but it's Chapter 2 from Cornell West's Prophecy Deliverance book. It's called The Genealogy of Modern Racism. And, you know, this was, this was written back in the 80s, I think, uh, 82. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is there's a lot of talk about the way racism has been engendered in Christian d- discourse, Western discourse, modern discourse. And this really was one of the early essays, and I think it's probably one of the most clear essays. And plus, I do love Cornell West and the kind of person he is uh, in a lot of ways. And anyways, um, it shows how various parts of modern Western world, specifically like modern science, and um, and the Enlightenment rationalism of, of the West fed into and developed the concept of racism, and and so and, and yet today we are. It's ironic to me that we still rely on certain forms of Western rationalities, and we think they're pure and neutral, like science, etc., to fight the injustices. I just want to say we got to be aware of that. And so, hey, I recommend it to everybody. Just It's just a little chapter, chapter two, Genealogy of Modern Racism. All right, well, that's it for today. Uh, we're thinking, uh, so we're going to throw this out here, we're thinking of maybe doing a new segment every once in a while because I know you're getting sick of uh, getting skewered for your Facebook post, although that one was easy today. But we're thinking of a new one called Words We Pretend to Know. These would be the big words that we bandy around as if we... Uh, as if we're really important. Um, Don't ask me any but we words think, now. But we think we, we uh, understand them. Things like subjectivity and ideology, even what is the Trinity, eschatology, things like that. But being of the Wittgensteinian ilk, where words are important, especially how you use them, we think words are important. And so we're thinking we'll start doing words we pretend to know. So if you have any suggestions of words that we regularly use, uh, but are probably meaningless. Let us know, and we'll try to define This those. podcast has gone on way too long. No, no, we're good. So uh, pretty soon, the uh, Missional Learning Commons is coming up in October, and we'll have details for those. But that's it for today. In Chicago land. In Chicago. That's it for today. You can find the Theology on Mission on Facebook and like our page. Also, you can find Dave and I on Twitter. Um, he's Fitchest, F-I-T-C-H-E-S-T, and I'm Jeff Holsklaw. Until next time, Dave and Jeff signing off from Northern Seminary. Northern Seminary. Goodbye, everybody.